What are you doing here? Don't you know Jerry and Tracy live here? They're coming. They hear you. Hey guys, it's Jerry and Tracy. Welcome to episode 89. We are rapidly approaching uh, episode 90. I'd like to punch you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) He's been picking on me all day. I'm not recording. Oh, you liar. All right, I am recording. So what's your beef? (laughs) Your beef, I mean my beef is... I, you just keep saying nobody likes me. Ninja don't want me to hold him. See, Ninja even agrees. And I don't think at one time have I ever said nobody likes you. Well, yeah, you did. When? Name it. Um, okay, I made that up. Okay. Fair enough. Let's move on. So let's talk about last night. Yeah. That was so much fun. All right, but before we do that. What? I got some on my teeth. No, we have to oh. say. <gasps> Thank you to all our military. And civil servants all across the globe. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for keeping us safe. And you all, please stay safe. We pray for you every day. Let's give a quick thank you to our um, iTunes reviewers. Oh, yeah. C. Peluso. Thank you for your review. Psych Nurse Trish. And... Nine eight seven six five four six five oh nine. Yeah. Okay. And Sky Zero Seven One Zero. Thank you guys for your reviews. We love you guys so much. Thank and you. We had a couple of new Patreon supporters. Uh Jamie Lenny from over in the UK. Hello, thank you. Makeup Nerds, thank you so much. Bethany Walter. Thank you. And Claire Humphrey, who is also in the UK. Oh, thank you guys so much. You're awesome. So now Let's get into last night. Last night was the first live event that we've done. I mean, we did a special event where we were like the special guest speakers, but this is the first one we've actually set up. It was with the Brohio podcast in Mysterious Circumstances up in Cincinnati. Sold out show, packed room, and it was so much fun. Oh my gosh. So much fun. You guys missed out. We posted all the pictures, so there's a bunch of pictures, but it doesn't do it justice, trust me. No, and I don't know what was on my shirt. It looked like it had a doinger on the front of it. I don't even know. That was one picture, and nobody's going to understand what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Well, anyway, <laughs> we met so many f- fabulous people. Oh, my gosh. They were so beyond sweet and nice and just great, great, and we were so excited. And honestly, to know how far a lot of those people came from is mind-boggling to me. And I mean, not just for us, of course, but for the other podcasters. I mean, nicest people you'll ever meet. And man, what a pleasure. Yep, yeah, Here we were in Cincinnati, Ohio. And we had people there from Texas, Oklahoma, Virginia. I mean, it was amazing how Isn't many that people. the craziest thing? I think the, we had somebody fly in, yep. which was Lacey. And then we actually had... Uh, um, Sam Farrell. Mm-hmm. Was it Sam? Yeah. yeah, it was Sam. Sam drove like 12, 13 hours from Virginia man, to get that there. Just, that's so mind-blowing to me. But man, we appreciate you all so much. And we are very humbled and very honored to be y'all's friends, honestly. Yep. Now in two weeks, we've got a Louisville engagement. Yeah. With the Waverly thing. it's. Got, I mean, it's just, 
I don't know. I'm completely blown away by how many people would drive yeah. 30 minutes to see us. Oh, my gosh. Let alone hours. And I'm telling you, Ohio and... Um, Mysterious Circumstances. Yes. I was trying, was trying to say Justin. They and Shane yeah. <laughs> kept everybody in stitches. I mean, they were so dang funny. And we were kind of worried because there was some younger generations <laughs> across the other side of the window. Yeah, let me tell you how this worked. When I set this thing up, we knew it was going to be in a private room. Now, the private room that we set up for Louisville is completely enclosed. Well, I didn't really think to ask that question when we set this one up. And it was not completely enclosed, which means <laughs> whatever we were saying was going out, uh, not completely, but yeah. somewhat, the restaurant could hear it. Mm-hmm. And if you've heard Brohio, uh, you know that that's not necessarily stuff do you want to be, you know, feeding out to <laughs> the the new minds of our generations. Um, yeah, I mean, within the first five minutes, they were talking about horse wangs and mm-hmm. everything else, and uh, they used a different term than what I used. But regardless... This was a fun night. It and was, and they were very, they were very nice too. They actually warned uh, some families across the way <laughs> that you know if you if you don't want to hear profanity and and horses ding dongs, then you might want to <laughs> move to another table or just you know. And they were actually cool with it. So. it yeah, in typical Ohio fashion, uh, they were like, "Ah, oh, nothing my kids ain't heard before. <laughs> Have at it." All right, we had that in our favor. So. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it was so fun. We it were there. Was. We had uh, uh, people showing up literally at six o'clock mm-hmm. in the evening, and we didn't leave till like eleven, eleven thirty. Yeah, it was so great. It was so much fun, and man, I I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, it was a blast. So, with that being said, uh, we love you guys, and we can't believe how often you make us feel like superstars when mm-hmm. trust me when i tell you we feel like anything but superstars yeah we feel like we're just sitting here two people having fun and you guys enjoy it and that's enough for us and to yeah. think that you would even give a damn mm-hmm. about seeing us or being in the same room with us mm-hmm. and how some of you make it such a big deal oh it yeah. truly humbles us oh my gosh it it is really it's great and i know the other guys feel the same way yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody had such a great time. It, it went off without a hitch, and it was just a fun night, and now we can't wait to do it again in two weeks with with a bunch of uh, listeners that didn't get a chance to make it after this one, so it's going to be fun, and we get to hook up with uh, uh, History Goes Bump and Pleasing Terrors and go on Waverly Tours. This is, you know, we've got so much fun stuff happening, and we owe all that to you guys. Absolutely. None of it happens without you. You're exactly right. Okay. With that being said, the story we did last night was the Ohio State Reformatory, and that's the story we're going to do for you guys tonight. Uh, hopefully, it'll come across a little bit better since we've had a quick run-through of it, obviously, with last night, and uh, we'll be able to, to sit down and not have background noise and stuff like that. It's it's harder to do in person than it would seem like mm-hmm. you're used to just sitting at a table. And by the way... We recorded all three uh, sets last night from Mysterious Circumstances of Ohio and us, and they have given me permission to upload all three of those on our Patreon. So if you're a Patreon supporter, uh, I'll get that up uh, in the next couple of days. We'll get it up and you'll be able to hear how it sounded if you could have been there in person. Are you ready to jump into the Ohio State Reformatory? 
again. I don't want to jump into the reformatory, <laughs> to be honest with you. But, yeah, let's tell the story. All right. So I'm going to paint a picture. Did I got to close my eyes? No. Okay. No, because it's not going to do any good. You've seen this artwork. <laughs> <laughs> so the exterior alone is enough to make even the most hardened criminal run away trembling in fear. Massive gates and six stories of Gothic stone. Outside, it looks like a Transylvanian castle. Inside, it's even creepier with its peeling paint, cramped cells, and rusted bars. It's considered the most haunted prison in America. The Ohio State Reformatory. Dun, dun, dun! I thought that should have been added, but... And you guys are lucky I didn't add that last night. Yeah, because that would have been in your ears. That's a bonus. But... I wonder why they, it was so beautiful outside and so horrid inside. Because it's well, been... I mean, what's the point of that? It, it wouldn't horrid inside. It's just been... It's not been used for so long. Oh. That it's just... They're not going to go in there and just make all the stuff look I, good Okay, all the time, I got you. So it's just falling apart. Okay. If you stand in front of the Ohio State Reformatory today, you might have a hard time believing that that was once a maximum security prison. It's got beautiful French chateau-like spires... Intricate uh, brickwork, stained glass windows. It's not really something you think of as a mm-hmm. prison. It was built in 1896 in Mansfield, Ohio, and was called the Mansfield Reformatory. Now, this was a huge deal for the city of Mansfield, Ohio. The local newspaper even actually declared the day of the groundbreaking Mansfield's biggest day. Wow. Yep. So the Reformatory was built. By Levi Schofield, who was a pretty well-known architect back in the day. Now, he used three different types of architectural styles. He used Victorian Gothic, Queen Anne, and Richardsonian Romanesque. Sounds pretty dang fancy to me. That does sound fancy. So why so much effort into building a reformatory that was so nice and so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess beautifully castle-type built? Well, let's think about the purpose of the reformatory. Now, the original name of this reformatory was Intermediate Penitentiary. Okay. And there's a good reason for that name, because it was designed to be a halfway point between the Boys Industrial School, which was the, um, you know, kind of like detention center for young boys that weren't old enough for prison. Yeah. You know, what else do they call those? We used to have them when they send you... Uh, like the young kids to like juvie, juvie, people, yeah, people yeah, call it juvie yeah. and all that. But at least here in America, that's what it's called, and that's what the the boys' industrial school was, and that was in Lancaster, Ohio. Then the state penitentiary was in Columbus, Ohio, and obviously that was for your hardened criminals. So they thought the ideal situation would be to offer young males that were nonviolent first offenders the chance to, for rehabilitation. So. Rather than sending them to the state pen where they could be, you know, 18, 19 year old that might have just stole a loaf of bread mm-hmm. into, you know, when with killers and, yeah. and everything else, they decided, hey, let's let's build this. Let's put some time and effort into them. Let's see if we can turn these uh, young men, make them see the light and be productive citizens. They incorporated three main ideas here at the reformatory. The first was keep in mind these these young men were 16 to 21 years old and they wanted them to have a high school education so they made sure that all of them got a high school education second they were taught a trade or a skill and third they were taught religion obviously 
back in the late 1800s, religion was so strong in this country that you can imagine why they thought this was a uh, concept that needed to be implemented because that was kind of a cure-all back then. Religion cured everything as far as a lot of people were concerned at the turn of the century. So that was the reformatory's main concept is to incorporate those things. So you were given all the tools to be successful in society. So let's get back to the beautiful design and how that fits into this whole plan. It was built to look like a cathedral. Mm-hmm. So think about what we just said about the religious aspect. Now you get the cathedral. It was believed that at the time that if the inmates worked or, uh, around this around because they were all working there, which we'll find a little more about later, but if these inmates were incarcerated there and they were working there and there was employees that were working there, that this uplifting environment alone would be enough to get, keep them morally uplifted. Right, and keep their and, mind off yeah. bad stuff. And it, it basically would just hopefully just make them better people right. just by being around. Around positive people. Around positive people and that atmosphere. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's, it just goes to think that if you lived in a really crappy house as opposed to living in a beautiful house, that you might be a better person right. just because you're surrounded by better. I, but that was the, yeah. whether that's true or not, that was, but that was the thought process. It took 14 years to complete the building because they kept going over budget. In uh, 1886, construction started. In 1891, they then changed the name to the Ohio State Reformatory. And in 1896, it opened its doors to its first 150 male offenders. Wow, 150. Hmm. When it was all said and done, and we didn't mention this at the, the live show, but when it was all said and done, this place was so overcrowded, thousands of people there. Oh, man, that's a shame. Yeah, but so many times these prisons were like that. You hear it with Eastern State, and you hear it with some of the other ones. You know, they were designed with good intentions and, the cer- and a certain amount of people, and then it's just like, oh, we outgrew it. Yeah, and, got out of control. Next thing you know, and, and a lot of these... Uh, Mental institutions back in the early days, you know, though all they were supposed to see, you know, host, had 500 beds, and next thing you know, there's 2,000 people in there. Isn't that sad? And, you know, That's and, so like, sad. and like eight people to take care of all of yeah. them. Yeah. Oh, I've been there, done that. Okay, so we got the first offenders in there. They were actually brought down uh, by train from Columbus, Ohio, and immediately put to work on building the prison sewer system and the stone wall that surrounds the prison. They were trained on everything from woodworking to farming and even produced all of their own food. Oh, that's good. Yep. They were successful at reforming most of these inmates, too. Only 10 to 15% of the people who came to the reformatory back in these days ever got back in trouble again and went back to jail. Damn, that's really good. That's really strong. But as time went on, laws changed, the system kind of fell apart, and this place became more of a standard prison, so all these values that they had kind of went out the window. In the 1970s, it became a maximum security prison. So this thing really Boy, it just went le- full leaps circle. and bounds, yeah. yeah. In the 1930s, the prison developed a very bad reputation for brutalizing and inhumane conditions. Punishment was harsh for bad behavior back then. Solitary confinement was one of the main things that they would uh, do to prisoners who misbehaved, so to speak. Uh, they would put them in a cell that had no windows and no bathrooms. Wait, where'd they go poo-poo? Right there on the floor. <gasps> they didn't even have a hole? Look, if you want to poop in a toilet, then you behave. That's just the way it was looked at back then. I'm not saying I believe that, but that's what they believed in. Here in the the prison itself, the basement was rumored to be the place that 
prisoners would be beaten and tortured for their bad behavior. In the 1970s, prisoners uh, that were deemed to be needing of a little more severe punishment were sent to the hole. Mm. And they were made to sleep on concrete floors when they were in there. And we're going to talk a little more about the hole later. But today, you can actually, if you go to the uh, visit the reformatory, because they have all kinds of tours and stuff you can go to, you can actually climb down into the guts of the reformatory and visit the hole. And they say that even though there's not been prisoners down there for a, a long time, several years, it's still cold, dark, and creepy as hell, which you can imagine. Are you saying the prisoner, like like prisoners, would be down in the hole for years? No, I'm saying there oh. hasn't been any prisoners oh, down there I'm because sorry. it's been closed. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. Didn't we just do this story last you night? You know, I know, I know we did, but <laughs> I thought I just misunderstood you. I guess. So. I mean, I heard things already that I didn't. I don't even think I heard last night. So due to to uh, these several reports that were out about inhumane conditions, the prison was closed in 1990. Mm-hmm. So that was the last year it operated. The Ohio State officials wanted to tear down the building. Of course, this beautiful building, obviously they had people, uh, preservationists, that were like, there's no way you can tear this down. This thing is, you know, it's a work of art. It's beautiful. So it still looked beautiful in the 90s? On the outside, yeah. Oh, wow. And, well, I mean, and, and on the inside and stuff, I'm sure it was in good shape. They're not going to let it just fall apart. I yeah. mean, they're going to keep up the painting and stuff right. like that. Uh these pre- uh, preservationists, though, they weren't having much luck, mm-hmm. and the state officials had pretty much decided they were going to tear it down. They couldn't but, think of anything else to put there? No, I guess not. No. But they had a stroke of luck. Uh, a little movie some of you might have heard of called The Shawshank Redemption decided that this would be a really cool place to film a movie. Yeah. Did you know, I'm sure you probably do, but a lot of people don't know that Shawshank Redemption was written by who, do you know? Oh, uh, I do know. Stephen King. I didn't know it. Well, I can't tell by the way you answered. So. I know, but it was coming to my brain. I knew that. <laughs> it's just so, it just shows how somebody can be crazy? a talented writer yes. in every facet. So. I know he is very talented. So the, they decided they were going to do their, in 1993, they, their filming began and the movie was released in 1994. Now what that did is that gave about four years from the time that they decided they were going to do it to the mm-hmm. time it happened for these preservationists to, to come up with a plan, and it ended up working. So um, they did tear some of the building down, but the main part that everybody sees that had the cell blocks mm-hmm. and the uh, administration offices, that still stands today, and that's where they get the tours at. So obviously a prison has been around for 100 years or so, like this one was, it's going to have its hardships in there. Yeah. It's going to have people hurt. It's going to have people die. There's going to be fights. You name it. Mm-hmm. And like in most prisons, it's happened. Yeah. Johnny Cash probably could have wrote a song about it. Oh, I'm sure. I don't think it would have had the same, you know, Ohio State Reformatory doesn't roll off the tongue. No, like it Folsom really. prison. Yeah, it don't. So that's probably. Yeah, he had to, might have had to change it up a little bit. <laughs> but the, the OSR or something. Yeah, there you go. Back in the OSSR. Oh, that's, no, no, wrong. Okay, wrong song. All right. So the prison, obviously, like I said, it had sickness, deaths, uh, and that would probably explain a lot of the hauntings that people say are going on today. Not to mention the fact that it was built on land that Civil War soldiers used to train on. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Interesting enough, nobody was ever actually executed at this prison. 
That that's that is pretty amazing. Well, I mean, but I would think that the the state prison that was still in Columbus, and I would think that's where probably the executions would, would, would happen at. Would happen at. There were deaths there, though. There might not have been executions. Oh, I'm sure there were. But there were plenty of deaths due to epidemics. Uh, you got to remember back in the early day, I mean, there was all these different like diphtheria and, yeah. and stuff like that going around. Yellow fever, all this. So there was all kinds of stuff going on back when the prison first opened up. Then you had accidents. You had some prison escape attempts. Um, you had suicides, unfortunately, natural causes because people would just get older and they die in prison. Tossing salads. I don't think they die from tossing salads <laughs> or bending over to pick up the soap, break a hip. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the most eye-opening stat was over 200 inmates in this prison died from fights or beatings. 200. That's a lot of people. Yeah, but like I said last night, they fought like men with their fist. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's not completely true, as you'll hear in a second. Well, damn it. <laughs> Go ahead. So, there was. let's talk about some of the cases. The, the, the first one we're going to talk about is two inmates were put into a solitary confinement cell, right? Mm-hmm. Which... It's odd by itself because it's two inmates in a solitary confinement. So it's almost like an oxymoron. (laughs) Only one of them came out. Oh. Because the one who came out killed the other one and stuffed him under the bed. I mean, don't they know they're going to look under the bed? Yeah. Or that there's like a prisoner missing? Probably a five by five rooms. Yeah. It's going to be hard to. Then you had the case of another inmate who was hung in the West Wing shower room. Mm-hmm. So that's not really fighting with your hands. That's true. That's but he used his hands to tie the knot, tie himself. <laughs> probably, so, probably yeah. So. In 1926, there was a corrections officer who was shot to death, unfortunately, during a um, a prison break attempt. Yeah, that's really bad. Once again, there's no hands there. But they had to pull the trigger with Stop their it. fingers. <laughs> In 1932, <laughs> another prison guard was beaten to death with a three-foot iron rod. Oh, dude. In solitary confinement. Oh, man. Or as we will call it from this point on, the hole. Oh, gosh. And I'll point out again that that wouldn't hands. But we're going to leave it at that. In 1948. He had to hold the pole somehow. Two convicts were released for good behavior. Now, let me tell you how ironic this was. Robert Daniels and John West were released on good behavior. And they used their freedom to go on a killing spree. <laughs> <I'm> idiots. <laughs> they killed the Ohio State Reformatory Farm Superintendent. Remember, they had mm-hmm. a farm there. And his entire family. I think when they said that, just the people who were living there, like, they didn't go find his mom and dad outside the the grounds and stuff. Uh, they eventually made their way down and killed a farmer uh, and a truck driver and a bar owner named Earl Ambrose. What'd they ever do? Well, no how are you going to get out of prison and then go do that? How stupid are you? I have no idea. They didn't even enjoy freedom for like a day. No, they just immediately went to it. Stupid. So this eventually ended up with a shootout with police and uh, West was shot dead. Good. Daniels was arrested and sent to Columbus where he was electrocuted. Good. Karma's a biatch. In November of 1950, Helen Glotke... Uh, she was the wife of Warden Glotke. Supposedly, 
And I say supposedly because there's about three or four different stories and we'll get into some of them. But the story goes that she was getting dressed for church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. She was in her closet, moved some stuff, and a loaded gun fell out of the closet, landed, and shot her in the chest. That's not a good way to start your day. No. It's rumored that she really committed suicide and it was just their way of covering it up. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's just embarrassment to the family right, or whatever the right. deal would be. Then there's another rumor out that her husband was trying to get out of a messy divorce they were getting ready to go through. And he hired one of the inmates to be like a servant at their house. And he somehow or another hired this servant to kill her and mm-hmm. make it look like an accident. Nobody really knows what happened. The chances are it really was just an accident. Yeah. And it happened like they said it was. But for whatever whatever the reason that it actually happened, Warden Glotke had to live the whole rest of his life, which he died in 1959, nine years later. He had to live the whole rest of his life with all these rumors yeah. about how he may have killed his wife or... So did he oh, stay she, there then? Yeah. Did he stay there? Yeah, yeah because in, 19, in 1959, uh, Warden Glotke died of a heart attack in his office. Oh. So they they both died yeah. at the prison. Because mm. that's where their yeah. uh, uh, residence was also. There are two other suicides that I want to mention here. One of them was an inmate who hung himself in the cell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I said himself, and I think it's himself. So excuse my bad English. The other one is a little different. This one happened in the hole, and he decided to make himself into a human torch. He used chemicals that he had taken from the prison uh, furniture workshop, put it all over himself, and then lit himself on fire. He was then promptly given another 30 days in the hole for this was a non-smoking area. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Why would you light yourself on fire? I don't know. Why? I don't know. We talked about this last night. I mean, we're not obviously not condoning suicide, but Hell if you no. were going to do it, some of the ways that people kill themselves totally baffle me. Why would you jump off a bridge and drown yourself? That's got to be the most agonizing way of dying. You know, why would you hang yourself? I don't get I, that. I don't know either. It's, why, it's just why so Why would sad. you set yourself on fire? I mean, these... It, it's just... Now... I guess the answer to those would probably be, in most of these cases, there's some mental issues going on, so they're not thinking clearly to begin well, with. Well, either that or they feel like this is the ultimate punishment to themselves for being the person that they have been all their life. That could be a very good answer. It could be a form of self-torture and mutilation. Mm-hmm. All right, now that we've brought the whole show down, Dang. most of you are probably saying, let's get to some haunted stuff. And trust me, there are plenty. So that's the background on the place. And as I usually like to do, I like to give the background because I think the background tells you more about the hauntings Mm -hmm. sometimes than the hauntings itself because this will show you maybe why there are so many hauntings when you you know the background to a place like this. So like most prisons, the Ohio State Reformatory is haunted by the people who died while they were either incarcerated or while they were working there, like Mm -hmm. we talked about with the uh, the warden. So we're going to start. With the warden's quarters, obviously enough. So visitors here, they tell you that while they're roaming around, they'll hear voices. And these voices come straight from the warden's office. Now, most people believe that the voices that they're hearing 
are of Helen, his wife, and the warden himself. And it sounds like they're having an argument because they said the voices they hear are heated. And that's why they assume it's Helen and, and uh, the warden because we discussed that they might be going through a messy divorce earlier. Yeah. Which would probably indicate they probably had a few shouting matches somewhere along the way. They also say that you can hear Warden Glotke walking through the administration offices, through the living quarters, the courtyards, and the hallways, as if he's still inspecting the place. Hmm. That's dedication right there. That is. That's real dedication. Now his wife, Helen, she hangs out in her room, which is known as the White Room these days. And they say that when you get a strong scent of roses, mm-hmm. you know that Helen is pretty close to you. That's how most people can tell that she's around and why it's her. Because she loved roses, or she I wore she like used, rose well, perfume. Rose perfume, the stuff was really popular back, oh, back in, in the, the day, like in the fifties. So that's probably what it was. She's been known to show up in EVPs, which I think is really cool because on one particular time, the staff there gave her a birthday party for her birthday. Obviously, that's when you do birthday parties, and she said thank you. Oh my gosh, she's a friendly ghost. That's so Very nice. Polite. They said cold spots are also uh, noticed right there in that area of her living quarters. And oddly enough, the most active negative energies can be found in the chapel. Wow. I don't know. This, and it doesn't make sense, but they say that between there and solitary confinement and the shower room, which will make sense, that's where all the activity happens. As far as the chapel itself, it's mainly just apparitions uh-huh so not a lot of bad stuff but they see these apparitions and they look like um just bad dudes more or less really yeah. i'm surprised they're allowed in the church <laughs> i don't know well you know what i'm saying i yeah. mean you think that would not they wouldn't want to come in there so the west wing shower room look i know a lot of ministers and priests that Probably shouldn't be in a church. Oh, well, that's so. true, too. So in the West Wing shower room, there are uh, some misty apparitions that come through. So first of all, you'll get actual mists. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the showers are running when the showers aren't running. Oh, yeah, like steam Hot or water, something yeah, like, like that. Hot water, yeah, like steam. And then you've got uh, some apparitions that's seen in there. And then people also have a feeling of choking while they're in there. Because if you remember, we talked about the one inmate that was taken to the West Wing shower room and hung. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> I was I was picturing it in my mind, I think. I was like thinking about me in the shower with my, me choking, I don't know. Okay. I completely went there. I'm glad that you just zoned out on me for a second. No, I was, I was just thinking. I'm glad you were completely into the story. <laughs> so the cell blocks, obviously you can imagine this has got to be one of the most haunted places. One paranormal investigator said that she felt unseen hands on her shoulders, like trying to hold her back as she was trying to walk up the steps in the West Wing. Then you had another uh, investigator. She said she felt somebody kind of helping her up the stairs by gently pushing in the small of her back, and then something tickled the back of her neck, kind of playfully. No. People will sometimes feel the breath of someone right in their face. Okay, now that's rude. Yeah, especially if they don't have Tic Tacs. Yeah. Or some type of gum or something. Oh, yeah. People walk through the cell blocks here, and they've been pushed, hit, shoved, punched, and thrown down steps. So I probably wouldn't advise walking down cell blocks too often. Yeah. At least not in this place. In the basement, apparition of of an old man can be seen running away from visitors. So it's like he has no problem being there, 
and people walk up on him all the time, but as soon as they do, he turns around and runs away. Opposite direction. Like he's scared of them? Yeah, literally. Like he's scared of them. So let's get to the biggie. What do you think the most haunted place in the whole place is? The bathroom. Why? Because you dropped the soap. All right. That would still be the shower room. Oh. So we're going to do the hole. The hole. The hole. The hole was haunted. Yeah. Which, in a sense, could be the same as dropping the soap. <laughs> That's true. Stop. So the hole. Did you say stop? Yeah. I, <laughs> I said stop to myself. <laughs> <laughs> the hole was actually built uh, when it became a maximum prison in the 70s. So How do really- you build a hole? That sounds so it's dumb. It's not a hole. It's a small room. Oh, I keep thinking it's a hole. Like a for, real hole. For the 15th time, it's not an actual hole. Damn it. It was a small room. The hole was a little bitty room that was, like I said, it was our solitary confinement. It only had a toilet and a bunk. And sometimes they actually even had to sleep on concrete floors. There was one occasion following a riot, approximately 120 prisoners were confined to the hole for 30 days with only 20 rooms to hold them. During this time is when we had the inmate that was murdered and shut underneath the bunk. So that's why there was two in a room at that time to begin with. Oh, man. So now you know what the hole is, right? I do know what the so hole there is. Actually, so there was 20 rooms yes. that were all the hole. It wasn't just one. It was 20 rooms that were all considered to be the hole. Oh. 20 holes. Up in her, <laughs> up in her. <laughs> All right, so there's a little bit about the hole. Also, when people were sent to the hole, they were sent there usually for three days, and it was always kept at 95 degrees. Oh, dear Lord. Now, some sensitives will tell you that when you visit a place that's as violent as what this this prison was, all these people that died violent deaths and the beatings and everything that occurred, that the despair and anguish gets absorbed into the walls, especially with this being a stone building. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people believe the stone kind of absorbs this stuff. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of mediums and stuff and, and sensitives that when they go there, they will not touch the walls because they're afraid touching the walls. Oh, well, attached to them would, or something? Right. It could cause an attachment and they don't want to take anything home with them. One medium said that she was walking down the uh, cell block through the middle where yeah. you had the cells on both on sides side. of you. And she said she could see ghostly hands reaching through the bars trying to touch her. Aww. Another investigator said that she's heard growls and stuff coming from the um, cell block. That's kind of scary. Yeah. She said that she's seen an entity that they call the Green Lady. And the rumor is that she was killed there at the prison, but nobody knows exactly who she is. But when you see her, usually you get punched right afterwards. She punches you? I don't know if it's her or whatever, but when people see her, they usually get punched shortly after. Well, dang. Some of the tour guides that are at the premises today used to be inmates themselves. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, it was not uncommon for inmates to get out and come back down the road and give thanks to the uh, the, the prison guards and, and the wardens and stuff because they felt like they actually did get something out of this place. But well, that was I mean, before it got really bad in the 70s. Yeah, I understand that, but I that would be the last place I want to be going back to work. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, Michael Humphrey was, was one of these guys, and he spent time here as an inmate in 1969 and 1970. And over the course of the 14 months that he was there, he said he experienced one paranormal event every single night. 
And it was wow. a, it was the same event over and over and oh, over. Oh, wasn't nothing different? No. What it was is he was in cell block four, or he was in cell four. So you can imagine if you're counting them by number, it's going to be really close to the door. Yeah. So he said every night the guard would come. You could hear a big you know, metal door. Mm-hmm. You can hear the key go in. You could hear it turn. You could mm-hmm. hear it open, and you'd hear footsteps. And he would talk to the guards most nights because he'd be awake. He was a younger guy, and he would be awake, so he would talk to the guards. But one night, he he heard this, the key go in, click, 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 the door swings open, he hears the footsteps, and he looks up, and there's nobody there. He looks up and down the hall, nobody. Nothing. And the guards eventually did come, but it was like 20 or 30 minutes later. <laughs> and then he had asked them, hey, did you come through earlier? And they were like, no, this is the same time we always come through. Yeah. So he was kind of spooked by this, Yikes. as you can imagine. And But he said... He said he didn't really have trouble sleeping before them, but he had trouble every night after this because every night this exact same thing happened. Every night he could hear it and then there'd be nobody there. Yeah, but you'd think he'd know it's coming. He'd get used to it. (laughs) But still freaky. I don't think you ever get used to something like that. So then the next uh, funny thing that happened is as he became a tour guide years later, the very first thing or the first... I was probably a month or so he was there, but he had his son with him, mm-hmm. his younger son. And he said it's, there was on Sundays, there's like three tours that go on at the same time. And it's not uncommon with this being as huge a place as it is for people to get lost from their group. Oh, I'm sure. So he said they're down like in the ground floor. He looks over and there's like three girls walking towards him. And he asked them, you know, hey, are you lost? And they're like, yeah, we can't find our group. So he finds out what group they're with, points them in a direction and sends them other way. He said, about that time, out of the corner of his eyes, there was a uh, a lady in a green dress, like a ballroom gown, and then she her hair was all put up and all that, real fancy, but it was something like, you know. She was overdressed for the occasion. It, without a doubt. And he said, she's walking out of a room, so he thinks the same thing. Oh, she's oddly dressed, but she's probably lost. So he says, hey, are you lost? And he said, she just looks at him, looks at him straight in the eye, turns around, takes like two steps and disappears. And by the way, the room that she was walking out of was the, if you've seen Strawshank Redemption, it was the parole board room. That was the room she was walking out of. And he said he looked at his son who was with him and his son was like, um, did you just see that? And he's like, yeah, I was hoping I wasn't the only one to seen it because I I didn't want to appear to be crazy. Mm -hmm. And his son's like, no, I I saw the same thing. That pretty much convinced him that... Mm -hmm. What he and he said he didn't really think that what he saw when he was uh with the the guards and stuff back when he was a prisoner he didn't really think that was a paranormal experience until this happened oh even though it was happening night after night he just figured he was hearing stuff there's uh-huh. a lot of stuff going on but he says now after seeing that he looks back and he knows that that was a paranormal he said but the place was haunted back then nobody said anything about it because you didn't want to scare yeah you know you didn't want a bunch of eighteen nineteen year old guys. Not being able to go to sleep because they were scared places on it. Right. So that wasn't something that got talked about. But that is our story on the Ohio State Reformatory. That was a good story. And yeah. a sad story. And you know what? And I didn't mention this in the beginning. Uh, and I don't know how I let this slip my mind. But we have an awesome interview tonight. Oh, yeah. We have got Adam and Matt from the Graveyard Tales. Nice. And this was fun. These guys... if. A lot of you already listen. If you haven't been listening to the Graveyard Tales, go listen to them. I I don't say this about a lot of people because 
I do think that the way I tell a story, because it's just kind of just talking, mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, like Mike Brown is, and is like really professional oh, and scripted yeah. out. And, and um, same thing, Richard McLean Smith from Unexplained and stuff. I couldn't do that to save my life. I don't have that much talent. Them guys are way above what I could ever hope to do. So I can just sit here and, and bullshit with you, basically. Mm-hmm. M- I think Adam from Graveyard Tales is probably the closest that I know of. And there might be others I just haven't heard. He's the closest I know of that tells a story almost the exact same way I do it. Oh, really? So that's why that's one of the reasons why I love their show. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why a lot of people, a lot of you guys that already listened to the show like it because mm-hmm. our shows are very comparable. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt tends to know what they're talking about on the show rather than you know other than Tracy on our show that doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> Thanks, hun. <laughs> but uh, let's listen to them real quick, and then we'll uh, jump back on here and say goodnight to you guys. And uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, we did release the Patreon episode last night. It's very dark. Um, it's probably the hardest story that we've told. Yeah. It's just all true crime, no paranormal to it at all. Um, but it's a very disturbing story and, um, it was hard to get through. I'm not going to lie to you. We, we actually put out a little disclaimer at the beginning that said, Hey, if this is not your kind of thing, it does involve children and stuff like that. that you might not want to listen. And that's the first time in almost two years that we've ever did that with anything. So, but I thought the story was worth telling. So there you go. All right. So let's listen to Adam and Matt from the graveyard tales. Hey guys, we got some special guests this week. Uh, been kind of teasing this one, I guess, for a month and a half or so. It's been tough getting our schedules to line up. But I've got Matt and Adam from Graveyard Tales on. I know a lot of you guys listen to the show. Uh, we've played the promo on here. I've praised them a few times. It's a fantastic show, and they're just a little bit south from where we are. So I love uh, – don't necessarily like the state of Tennessee. I think you all know my feelings on that. But I do love the city of Nashville, and these guys are based out of there. So welcome to the show, the hosts of Graveyard Tales, Adam and Matt. Hey, we appreciate it, man. And we, we enjoy your show and it's great to actually finally get on and to be able to talk to you. Yeah, this is this has been a long time coming. So <laughs> we've been trying to get this worked out for a good little while. Well, that's what happens when you've got, you know, everybody's got busy schedules and uh, I know, Matt, you had some traveling to do for a, a little bit during that time and then we had some traveling to do and then... You know, Adam, I don't think he necessarily does anything, so he's always available, but... Uh, yeah, you know. I'm usually, I'm a homebody, you know. <laughs> he's, a, he's a hermit. Yeah. <laughs> so what, one of the things I like about your guys' show is, one, you cover some of the big topics out there, but then you also cover some things that I hadn't heard about. And a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about one of those subjects, the uh, South Pittsburgh uh, Hospital in Tennessee, and tell me a little bit, you guys, how your show got started. Tell me about you two, how you know each other, how you decided to do a show together, and how you decided on the topic of being uh, these type of stories. Well, um, Adam and I have been friends for probably about the last five years, and we we met through mutual friends. And over the the, the course of my childhood and and early adult life i i had a lot of paranormal experiences and i've been telling a lot of these stories for years and one night you know adam was at the house and we were just hanging out you know playing cards and everything and we got to talking and 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 amanda my girlfriend said 
you know, I was telling Matt that he needs to do a podcast about all this, you know, about some of these stories. And I, I think y'all would do a great job at it. And boy, Adam latched on it like a pit bull. He said, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's go. What, you know, right now, when can we start? Yep. You know, and from that point forward, you know, sitting down and, and coming up with a name for a show and a format and, and topics that we would discuss, uh, it all happened at my dining room table. And I don't know, it was about six weeks later, mm-hmm. we were recording our first episode. Yeah, it, you know, uh, it was kind of crazy how quick everything went when we finally decided to do it. Because like Matt, you know, I had been interested in the paranormal and everything for years. I'd had a few like odd experiences in high school, but I've always been like, I don't know, obsessed with cryptids and cryptozoology and stuff like that so that kind of gets thrown into our show as well along with the paranormal stuff so it's just kind of we always enjoyed talking about the weird stuff the stuff that you talk to some people about and they look at you funny they kind of squint their eyes and look at you a little cross-eyed and wonder what's wrong with you and then slowly back away from you that was the stuff that we really enjoyed talking about. So mm-hmm. we thought, you know, why don't we get it out there? Because there's got to be some people out there that listen to it. And, you know, we're both like huge fans of Astonishing Legends. You know, they're the podfathers, I think, of a lot of us. And we're like, you know, if they if they can do it and have the fan base they've got, then we might be able to catch a small percentage of that. Yeah. So. Uh, and, you know, we did this for us. We, you know, it was something we wanted to do. We knew that there were enough of our friends that would tune in and listen. We had no idea that this many people would take the time to listen to what the two of us had to say, you know. Well, I mean, it, it, we were the same way. I mean, I didn't think anybody would really care and never, never thought it would turn out to be anything more than, you know, our friends and family listening and, you know, but occasionally you, you catch something that has a little more interest than you think it would. And I can't agree more with you with Astonishing Legends. I mean, we talk about, you know, Scott and Forrest all the time being our big brothers. Uh, oh, yeah. You'll see me make tweets constantly on, on Twitter about, you know, our big brothers, Astonishing Legend. And we're part of the Dark Myths Collective uh, with them. But, you know, they're as far as, you know, we're concerned, they're kind of the stronghold of that whole group, even though there's, you know, literally seems like. 40 of us, 50 of us in there that, you know, and a lot of great shows. I mean, you know, Twisted Philly and Not Alone and uh, Zing This and you got the Mad Scientist pod and on and on and on of of all these fantastic shows in there. And, you know, we're just glad to be a big part of that. Yeah. And that, you know, that's the other thing. You mentioned a lot of those shows, you know, those are, you know, mutual friends of ours as well, because to me, the podcast community, the all of the the shows are just awesome. You know, they're super supportive and we love it. And, you know, we, we try to do for everybody else as much as we can. That's why we have that. Uh, we call it the potty break yep. on our, uh, on our episodes. And it's where we, you know, take the time to run promos for other shows. And it's cause everybody has been so super supportive of us just starting out. Cause we're fairly new. You know, we started, October 13th of last year, it was Friday the 13th. Um, and so we haven't been around too long, but we've gotten so much support from everybody that 
it's like we figured we needed to do something and that was you know our kind of giving back to everybody so well you know we're going to springboard this because you guys have a very interesting story to tell and uh, at the end we're going to make sure everybody knows how to find your podcast but i i think you've probably picked up a lot of listeners from this show already because we have talked about you and and i know when we on social media talk and mentioned that you guys were going to come on uh, we had more than a few people saying they couldn't wait for that episode so i mean you've definitely got yourself a nice little fan base brewing out there well, that's awesome. Yeah, we've had several people say that uh, they found us through you guys, and you know we we appreciate that very much. You know, and because we love everybody, and we welcome everybody into the graveyard. And it's awesome when we can pick up, you know, listeners that listen to friends of ours as well. Well, your your show has a really nice flow to it. I, I like the fact that you guys interact very well with each other, and I love the little tangents that you get off on. That's that's actually probably part of my favorite part of the show. And as uh, you know, especially Adam, you like to go off on, you know, this little thing or that little thing. And, you know, I I remember a couple of episodes back, you were talking about the, uh, the animal that washed up on the Georgia beach. Uh, right. That was supposed to be they, you know, what was it, a sea lion that they said, oh, when they, when they start decomposing, sometimes they can look like a, you know, something else. And I just, Remember you going off on a little tangent about that. I just thought that was so funny that just so out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, I'm I've got ADD like really bad and I'm passionate. So that happens sometimes. I'll just kind of break off and go down another trail, you know. He's like a pit bull. It get a hold, it get a hold of something, he won't let go. <laughs> but that is that's the beauty of the show. I mean, it's uh it doesn't come across as fake. It comes across as a natural, this isn't something I thought about two hours ago that I wanted to make sure I brought up. It just, it came up right here and now, damn it, we're going to talk about it. Right. But that's that's the beauty of the show. It it flows really well like that. And the show's really well researched. You you guys did a show recently on, uh, um, I guess, the Montana State Prison. Mm -hmm. And sort of the way we like to do on shows is we try to turn it into a history lesson with paranormal attached to it, more than just strictly paranormal. And right. you guys do that with your show as well. And I know with with that episode with the Montana uh, prison, you went back and was talking about the uh, the riots uh, that that had happened and, and the, uh, uh, you know, the people that were uh, killed during this thing. And you talked about the book that was written on it and talked about, you know, how to get the book and what it talked about. I just, I love that part of the show. I think it really, I think... The paranormal stuff is great. That's what we're here for. But when you know the background and as many facts as you can throw in, that's what makes the paranormal stuff more intriguing, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, You know, it's the history that, to us, that actually brings the hauntings or the paranormal activity. Like we say it all the time, it's that the stone tape theory, you know, the history of that area gets recorded and if it's violent and you know a lot of high energy then that's going to cause a lot more of the paranormal activity so we feel it kind of necessary to go over it but you know with that ADD thing we don't want to spend you know an hour of time talking about it because I'll get bored Matt will get bored and we feel everybody else would so we try to do like history lesson light 
for everybody, condense it down. And, and Jerry, you, you know this, when you're, when you're researching especially a, a place, a location, that's got a lot of paranormal activity, you, you can't even begin to dig into that without going through the history, without you know, finding out who was there and when and what happened and the events surrounding it. Because it makes the paranormal events more real. You know, it, it gives you that sense of, I can buy into this idea that this person's spirit would be here because the fact that they, they lived there for so long or they had a violent death. And, you know, it, they go hand in hand. So it, it's one of those things where we feel like you, you can't have one without the other. We don't want to spend too much time on the history, but we know we have to talk about it. And, you know, like with the Montana State Prison, you know, when Adam proposed that as a topic for us to research and, and discuss, I had never even heard of it. So, you know, a lot of times Adam and I are learning right along with our listeners. Mm -hmm. Those are the stories that I like doing the most just because of that reason. You you know, we, we lately revisited a couple episodes, Robert the Doll. Uh, we're going to be doing Waverly here in a, a, a few weeks. We redid Bobby Mackey's. And I love doing those, sto those stories, and they needed to be redone because the way we did them before, we just kind of glossed over them. So they needed to be properly done. But those stories I know so well, all I really had to jot down was like dates, certain names, and the rest of it I knew. So I didn't get very much out of doing the research. But the right. stories that I don't know as well, like we're doing the Ohio State Reformatory next week at a uh, uh, live event, and I kind of already started cheating a little bit, even though I haven't finished this show for uh, for this week. I started kind of looking into it, and it's like I was flashing back to the show y'all did, and, and I, there's similarities. Anytime you do a prison, there's similarities. Anytime you do uh, a former insane asylum, there's similarities. And, you know, so th there's differences, but, but a lot of it is very similar. So I, I found a lot of the same stuff with the Ohio State Reformatory as what you guys were uncovering with the Montana uh, prison. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, you're right. That You know, a lot of the emotions and everything are going to be the same. And uh, what you were saying about, you know, knowing stories really well, there's a lot of stories that, you know, Matt and I think we know and we get into it and we're like, oh, crap, that's not, you know, the history of this place isn't at all what we think we know about it or what has been commonly told about it. You know, and we've had a couple episodes where that's happened and we're we've gone, oh, wow, you know, this is taking a totally different turn than we thought because you get into doing the research and the urban legends are not what the actual history was. So, you know, the you're really blown away and an episode takes a whole nother turn and it becomes something new that you didn't expect. Well, and you're right. And that's the beauty of uh, trying to find all, you know, with us, we try to find the story that you know, but we try to dig up a bunch of other stuff that maybe you haven't heard that you haven't heard on the other 12 podcasts that did the same subject. <laughs> and yeah. you, and, and I think some of that just involves throwing it all out there and letting the listener make the decision. Uh, you know, when we did Robert the Doll, it's funny, but 
the story most people tell is, oh, well, you know, he got it from a, uh, a slave from the Bahamas and it was, she made it as a parting gift when she was being exiled out of the country and, you know, she put a curse on it. And then, you know, you watch the lore TV show. I don't know if you guys have watched that. And, mm-hmm. you know, their version of Robert the Doll on there was he got it from his aunt, I believe, sent it as a birthday gift. And then the more I dug into it through the um, museum where he's actually housed at, they found out that it was actually a doll that was made in Germany that wasn't meant to be a doll. It was part of a, you know, like a window display uh, that was like court jesters or something, but that's where it came from. And it was actually his grandfather that got it as a birthday present. So that story has three different versions, depending on who you listen to. And, uh, you know, so we, but we were able to say, Hey, here's each one that we've heard, but this is what the museum says. So this is the one that's probably the most factual. And that's what we try to do more often than not is just give you choices. Right. And that, you know, uh, we, we go along those same lines because it's like, you know, Matt and I are skeptical believers, I guess you would say, uh, we believe in, paranormal activities and the weird stuff that can happen and all that. But we go into it with skepticism because there's always going to be the tall tales and the embellishments and everything. So if we find something that, like you said, has multiple angles to it, like you guys, we'll give the multiple angles and then we kind of will go off and tell you what we think it is. If it parallels one of them, then great. If not, then Here's, you know, the 64th version of it, which is mine and Matt's version of it. And that's what we think. So, yeah. Well, let's segue into what you think, because one of the reasons that I brought you on, besides being able to tell everybody a little bit about your uh, your show, is I had Chad Lindbergh on a while back. And he and John E.L. Tenney, who we've also had on, were the stars of Ghost Stalkers. And I believe... They had, I think they only did one season. It might have been two seasons, but it was a cool setup for them. And it was Chad's first real um, time doing anything ghost hunting wise. He had done some stuff with Ghost Adventures, like as a special guest, but this was his show, full time ghost hunter. And when I had him on the show, we were talking about um, haunted places. He brought up the South Pittsburgh Hospital as the most haunted place in Tennessee. He raved about how crazy it was there. And I told him originally I hadn't heard of it. And then not too long after we finished the interview, I'm like, wait a minute. That's the hospital that the Graveyard Tales was talking about. And I hadn't been listening very long to you guys, so it didn't stand out to me immediately but it did click to me. I wish I would have remembered it while Chad was on the air because I would have brought you guys up uh, during that time, but I didn't. And I remember, but I did remember it afterwards. And I thought, man, I'm, I think I need to look into doing this uh, as a show. And then I thought, what well, you know, I want to have Matt and Adam on anyway. So rather than me already do something that they've already done, did a hell of a job on, I figured I would bring you guys on and tell, let you tell the listeners about South Pittsburgh Hospital. Yeah, it's uh, like he was saying, it is one of the most haunted places in Tennessee. And some of the activity that goes on there is just crazy. Um, I know this is one of when we did it, this was one of Matt's favorite uh, areas in Tennessee to cover. So I'll let him kind of start out talking about it since 
since he really enjoys this one. Yeah, so the the South Pittsburgh Hospital, you know, it, it lies between um, Nashville and Chattanooga uh, right off Interstate 24. And the, the cool thing about it, one thing that, that I will always look at when we're talking about a location is that the idea of, of a natural battery, you know, something that can can hold energy and 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 keep enough energy in a certain location that if you buy into this these spirits can use to manifest and and communicate and move objects and there's there's a natural base spring that runs underneath the hospital it runs uh, right in the northwest region of the Tennessee River and because of the spring and because of of the limestone that's that's in the ground those are two things that people will say that can produce, you know, some, some paranormal activity. And on top of that, if you start digging a little bit deeper and looking into things like ley lines and everything, the South Pittsburgh hospital, it just starts meeting all of those criteria, just one after the other. And then you start to think, uh, just like a prison, this place is a hospital. And it's going to see more death than just about any other place you can imagine. And a lot of emotion uh, and a lot of tragedy. And that combination uh, of, of energy just lends itself to be, uh, I mean, almost a magnet for, uh, you know, spiritual ghost paranormal activity. And, you know, to call this place one of the most haunted places in Tennessee it's it's almost an understatement because it is it's so active and and there's so many different uh, individual hauntings there that are, are attributed to um, a, a certain a, a certain spirit you know in a certain location um, you know on the uh, I believe it's the second is it the second floor Adam the third floor I, I can't recall immediately third floor. At the end of that third floor hall, there there is an entity that most of the people that have done any kind of tour or an overnight hunt, they, they just they feel this this sense of dread, this this feeling of I'm not supposed to be here. And there's something here in the darkness that's telling me, go away. I don't want you here. And there have been reports of of hearing an audible go away get out not an evp per se but an actual audible you know get out um and the number of evps that have been collected in this place is astounding oh it's ridiculous so when we started looking into this we thought i wonder if there's going to be enough information out there available for us to do an entire episode boy were we surprised because there is just story after story after story, and Adam, Adam and I found ourselves really trying to condense it down um, to to make a regular length episode. I mean, we really felt like we could have talked for, you know, kept talking for probably another hour about it. Sure, um, you know, like Matt was saying, all of the activity that happens, uh, it's the hospital is shut down now, and it still allows tours. But I looked into it before we actually did our recording on it, 
and they are booked probably eight to ten months out and for that, tours. Yeah, and that was at the time we recorded, but I, I, we've looked into it again, and it's it's a it's a solid year plus. And you know the hospital now is is owned by um, like a, a ghost hunt or, or a ghost adventure type company, um, and, and they'll let you have run of the place. Yep, they have cameras uh, set up now on all the floors that have activity, um, night vision and infrared cameras that you can basically rent, I guess, for the yeah. night and use what the stationary cameras that they've got set up to capture the activity. So it's kind of neat as like a training ground or if you want to use it as your first haunted place to go investigate because you're guaranteed to get quite a bit. You know, it's it's when you look at something like that and you start thinking about, you know, it's a year out is how, how much it's booked. You got to think that that place would be more popular in the public eye than what it is but i mean it's something that you rarely hear about if when you talk about you know these lists that everybody puts out of you know the most haunted you know in the united states or whatever it it never makes any of those lists and it's amazing to hear everybody talk about how great it is and i wonder why it doesn't make those lists yeah i i wonder that too because there's only when we started looking for it like matt said that's why we originally wondered if there was going to be enough information because you know, you like you said, you go type in that most haunted places in America, you know, and you're looking up all that, and it doesn't really come up on many, and it it should. And and I think some of that is um, it's PR. Um, you know, these these curators, uh, owners, you know, they uh, they they really put it out there. You know, they they want to advertise that. You know, hey, come stay here. And, you know, it's a lot of paranormal activity or, or have a haunted weekend. Um, our very first episode was on the Thomas House, which is in Red Bowling Springs, Tennessee. And, you know, there's there's a lot of activity up there. It's a it's a bed and breakfast. You know, it was originally a hotel. It's been a hotel the, in, uh, the entire time. Essentially, you know, there was a period of time where it was owned by a by a cult um, for a brief period of time. But. You know, the the current owners, they embrace this. You know, they, they want people to come up there. And, and Adam and I went up there and, uh, you know, had a really, really good time. We, we didn't really experience much in the, you know, five or six hours that we were up there. Um, but there's definitely an energy there. And so I think that a lot of places, you know, much like, you know, Waverly Hills, you know, if, if you're interested in the paranormal at all, and somebody mentions, you know, Waverly Hills, you know, that they, they immediately know what you're talking about. You know, they're like, oh man, I want to go up there. You know, that's that's one that's that's on Amanda's bucket list is for us to get up to Waverly Hills. And I'm kind of like, I don't know about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's start small. But you know, I think it, a part of it is is that you know, it just it hasn't been promoted, you know, a, as much as other places, and so. You, you don't hear about it, but sometimes those places are the best places. Um, you know, they're the ones that haven't had a million different stories come out that you have to dig through to wonder, is this one, you know, this one's junk. This one may be legit. This one sounds pretty good. This one is totally made up. 
Um, you know, when you don't have that and you think, boy, listen to all this activity that's going on in this hospital, this would be a killer place to visit. The thing is, is it's, it's pretty expensive. I mean, this is, I mean, this is not like, well, no, hey, let's take a weekend trip and go to the beach or something like that. I mean, it's fairly costly. So the people that do these trips and, and stay for a weekend at the hospital, they're going prepped to, to have some, some data that they can share. Um, and, and that's another thing. It, it's one of the coolest spots that will allow you to just have run of the place. They're not hanging around. They're not directing you. They're, they're not even in the building. You know, they leave you alone in there to to experience, you know, what you're going to what you're going to experience firsthand with, you know, no adulteration. And and to me, that's that's fantastic, you know, that there's an environment where people that are amateur, professional, paranormal investigators, ghost hunters, whatever you want to call them, you know, can can take their time and go and do that. And because, you know, not everybody's going to be able to go up and say, hey, we've got a show on Discovery Channel. You know, we'd love to come and do a show about your place. And, you know, most people are just like, hey, we're amateur paranormal investigators and we've been to this place and that place and we'd love to come to your place and and try to get a foot in the door. Um, This is a place that you could do it. bet you may have to wait a little while. But um, but it's definitely somewhere that uh, I think paranormal investigators around the country are are finding more and more information about and and wanting to come to Tennessee and do an investigation there. And uh, like like we were saying, there's so many different ones. I mean, there's there's a story of a nurse of the, the naughty nurse that. Uh, yeah, I was about to tell everybody, <laughs> but that's my favorite one. You know, a nurse, the ghost of a nurse that. Uh, you know, that actually, you know, touches, um, you know, male visitors, um, you know, sometimes very, uh, very privately. And, you know, here's here's breathing and whispering in their ear and on the back of their neck. Um, and there's an, a, another one that's a nurse that died in in one of the second floor bathrooms. And they say that particular bathroom is haunted by her and you can go in there. And I think Adam and I made the joke about passing the toilet paper. Yeah. You know, if you ever find yourself in that bathroom, you just have to ask. Right. <laughs> well, I know the, the, the nurse you were talking about that, you know, gropes you and all that stuff. I mean, I don't know what these tours cost, but, you know, I'm in. <laughs> right. You know, that, that's that's what I said. I was like, you know, of all the haunted places that you could go to, what better place to go than to get fondled by a naughty nurse. I mean, you know, that it is really worth it. And, Jerry, if you ever want to go, we'll all pool our money, and we'll go down to uh, the basement where she hangs out, and we'll just see what happens. Yeah. What... <laughs> I'm for it. I mean, it's like I've always said, the only activity that happens in my bedroom is paranormal activity when we do this podcast. So, So what other kind of stories we got from that place? Besides, we got the naughty nurse and and the nurse that hangs out in the bathroom. What else we got? Well, if anybody listens to our show, they know my aversion for ghost children. Um, I'm not a huge fan of kids to begin with, but then you you get ghost (laughs) kids, and that just gets even worse. Um, It's it's one of those things that like. You bring that up and I'm like, hell no, I'm out. I'm sorry, I'm out. You know, just <laughs> leaving that alone, not going to touch it. And on the third floor of this hospital, 
Um, that seems to be one of the most active areas, but there's a toddler that appears up there and he's either like two or three years old is what they say. And he's one of the most active ones up there. And he's always trying to get people to play with him. And so they affectionately referred to him as Buddy. And apparently Buddy will like come up to you and grab your hand or tug on your clothes. And, you know, it's all in a, uh, I guess, an attempt to get your attention so that you'll play with him. And, you know, there's videos of people there. They've got a ball and Buddy will roll the ball back to them or, you know, hit a balloon or whatever. But, you know, ghost kids, man, no thank you. That I, I'll deal with a demon any day, but you put a ghost kid in and I go, I wet my pants and run out. I'm sorry. Yeah, and there's a, there's a story, um, a, a true story of, of a child dur- during a flood, during a flash flood, was actually washed uh, into like a, like a storm drain. And as she went down in the drain, of course, the metal grate essentially sheared off the top of her head. And this was a child that, you know, you know, South Pittsburgh is not a very big town. Um, and, and so this was a child of a family that a lot of the people in the town knew. So it was, it was widely publicized. The people, the, the staff in the hospital, you know, knew this child. And unfortunately, you know, she died while in surgery. And so a lot of people well, especially former employees will say that when that happened, there was almost this depression that went all throughout the hospital that you could just feel an, a, an energy just laying on top of that hospital. And now people that have gone in and done investigations, whenever you enter that operating room, they said you can just feel that that sadness and that pressure and, and just the despair from inside that. And they attribute that to the death of, of this young girl. So, you know, again, like we, like we said before, there's a lot of death that's in a hospital. And so it, it, death leaves a mark and there's a lot of marks that have been left. And, and I can't think of anything that would be more emotional than the death of a child. And, and so, a lot of these experiences people will have, uh, they can be tied to events that were, you know, uh, related to a child that was there as a patient and, and, and died. So was this hospital always a traditional hospital or did it ever become uh, a mental facility or anything like that? Or was it just a, a regular hospital from the time it opened to the time it closed? Well, I, I don't know if I would if I would call it a regular hospital. It it was the it was the Walmart of hospitals. It was the one stop shop. I mean, they had they had a dentist that worked there. They had you know psychiatric care there, um, al- along with you know what we know of as you know traditional medicine with you know you know routine surgeries, you know you know appendectomies and you know hip replacements and 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 all that kind of stuff. Um, but you could pretty much go there for whatever your healthcare need was. Um, so there was a lot of activity and it, and it was owned by a physician. 
you know, so it, it wasn't like hospitals are now where they're, they're big corporate, corporately owned, um, you know, healthcare maintenance organizations. Uh, you know, it was, it was a private hospital, um, you know, and, and they provided a lot of services, you know, but as far as converting it to something, you know, like, uh, you know, an, an insane asylum or, um, you know, a home for the criminally insane or anything. There's, there's no evidence that anything like that ever really happened. It, it pretty much remained a hospital right up until the day that it closed. And, and it closed very abruptly. I mean, it wasn't a gradual thing. It was, we're open today and we're closed tomorrow. You know, kind of deal. You know, you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Any particular reason for that, or is this the lack of funding, or was it something major that happened that made them close down? It was it, it was kind of the lack of funding because they were building a bigger hospital in a larger town. Um, and like Matt said, this is a, a real small town there in Tennessee. So, you know, they, they built a bigger town a little ways away, and they built a bigger hospital with newer newer. I guess machinery and rooms and all that. So it was basically like just shut this thing down, move all the patients the next day to the bigger hospital and start afresh there. Yeah, and and the building itself was was old enough that for the more modern equipment that the newer hospitals were installing, they would have had to go and and remodel and retrofit to get things like CT scans and MRIs and and that type of equipment to actually even be available there. And, you know, the, the people that own the hospital decided that it, it it wasn't, it it wasn't worth the money that it was going to cost to keep the hospital open, you know, so they decided to close it. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been super fun having you on. And, you know, we're going to have to do it again. I want to do a crossover episode at some point with you guys. We'll pick a topic, both research it, and then uh, just do a big group uh, a session on it if you guys are up for it. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, we'd love it, Jerry. And we really appreciate you having us on. So. Yeah, for sure. It was it was fun. And like we said, we've been trying to get on uh, with you for a while, but schedules and, you know, adulting, it kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's just like even now. I mean, Tracy would have liked to have been here, but she's actually probably closer to you than she is me right now. She's in Gatlinburg. Oh, wow, well, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like you said, it's life. We all, we all unfortunately, have to work real jobs and uh, fit in podcasting around that schedule. So Right. Well, Jerry, you can tell her. there There is a really good walking ghost tour in Gatlinburg. It's a lot of fun. We did that and, on our honeymoon, <laughs> believe hey, it or not. Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and we... Uh, I, there's a there's, there's a gentleman down there who um he runs a promotion he won't let me tell it but he runs a, a, one of the well known establishments down there and uh, all I'll say is the owner is one of the guys from Dukes of Hazard and we'll just leave it at that and most people will be able to figure it out if they've been down there and right. so he's the manager down there and and uh, he came on our listener stories episode and he told us a bunch of stories from that building because the building they work in used to be a theater it was the oldest theater in Gatlinburg and a bunch of cool stories, but he's also a former ghost hunter. So he does a lot of this on the side. And, you know, he's told me about, uh, I think the, uh, I was going to ask you about this place. There's a restaurant down there. I think it's Greenbrier restaurant. Have you guys heard of that one? I don't think I know that one. 
it might be one to look into for you guys since you guys do a lot of Tennessee stuff, but he was telling me that he thinks it's the most haunted um, place anywhere around there. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's a Greenbrier restaurant. It's right there in Gatlinburg. So might be one to check out for you guys. But I don't know, like you said, it's like we talked earlier. Sometimes stuff's a cool thing, but if you don't have enough information to do a whole show, it's kind of, you know, just a throw-in thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm writing it down right now as we speak so I can look into it tonight. So, Guys, tell everybody how they can find you on social media and how they can listen to your show if they're not already listening. Well, you can find us really on any of the podcast streamers, iTunes and Spotify and Podbean and all that good stuff. Um, we've also got a website that you can go to. It's graveyardpodcast.com, and that has all the links to all of our social media, to all of our episodes, so you can one-stop shop for us there. It's got link to our merch and everything. Um, but if you just search Graveyard Tales on Twitter, you'll be able to find us because the way the Twitter thing is, we had to spell it kind of weird. Um, so that's pretty difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it Twitter, thanks for that, you know. Um, but on Facebook, we've also got a Facebook group uh, trying to, you know, build the community there. Um, you can just search Graveyard Tales Podcast and join that Facebook group. We try to push everybody to that because that's a place where all of our listeners can share their stories um we're real you know we love hearing stories from people and we love hearing you guys tell the stories you know and if you listen to us we want to listen to you as well um that's kind of what the graveyard is it's just a big community for all of us to get together and share the weirdness and the the facebook group is the best place where you can do that and get in touch with us and all that and we're doing a listener stories episode where we're having people record their own personal stories, send it to us. And then we're going to play that on an episode. So, you know, hit us up on Facebook and you can tell us those stories and email us graveyard tales, podcast at gmail.com. If you got a story guys, like you said, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on and, and your show is fantastic. I, I listen to every episode that comes out. I'm as big a fan as anybody out there when it comes to your show. So I was excited to have you on, uh, probably more excited than you were to be on. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. We, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were pretty pumped. We, we've been talking about this since uh, you and I actually first talked about it. And it's like every time Matt and I talk, I'm like, dude, we got to get on Hillbilly Horror Stories. We really got to do it. So it uh, it was awesome to finally be able to do it. Yeah, because I think we started talking about it in like 1996 or something like that. And, and we finally... <laughs> yeah. Finally made it happen. Decades. <laughs> I, I was I was still in college. You know. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much, and we'll be talking to you soon. Cool, appreciate Thanks, it, Jerry. man. Those guys are so much fun. That really is one of my four or five podcasts that I listen to as soon as it comes out. I don't miss it. I listen to it that day. Yeah, they're really funny guys, and um, I like listening to them as well. So little thing that I'm, I'm just throwing it out there it's nothing definite no dates working on but we've had a lot of success with these um i guess you could say live events that we set up so i'm thinking about trying to set something up maybe in houston since uh, that would put us really close to our big texas markets because it's only a three or four hour uh, visit from 
Dallas and San Antonio and Austin. And then we have a, a nice listener base in Houston. So if that's something that you guys would be interested in, then you can send us a message and just say, hey, let's let's make it happen. It wouldn't be anytime soon. The earliest it could happen would probably be like October of this year or maybe even a year from now in April of next year. Uh, but just let me know if it's something you think you'd be interested in. I know Andrea Whitney, she's been on here a few times. Now uh, We could probably get her out to it. And I have her tell some stories because she's got a million of them. Trust me, this is all she does is research haunted stuff. Uh, but uh, she wants to try to help out any way she can. I'm talking to a couple of other podcasts about getting them out there. So we'd be, have probably two or three podcasts out there and have a nice little three or four hour event. And uh, But let me know if that's something you're interested in. As of uh, tonight, we're ready to sign off of here. We are tired and wore out. (laughs) (laughs) Our Casper mattress is super nice, but we're still tired. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it does help us fall asleep pretty dang quick. Absolutely. And I wish I was falling asleep in it right now, but I got about two hours worth of editing and putting the show up. But we love you guys, and you're worth every second of it. Yes, you are. I love you guys, and hope you have a great week. And next week, I have no clue what the show's going to be, so it'll be a surprise to all of us. There you go. (laughs) Thank you, guys. We love you. And we'll be back shortly. Hey, Hillbillies. If you guys enjoy what we do here on the show every week and appreciate all the hard work we put into it, consider being one of our Patreon supporters. All you got to do is go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Click on the tab for donations, and you'll see the Patreon link right there. Click on it, and you can go to our Patreon page. Then you will have a decision to make. You can choose the $1.00 the $3, the $5, or the $10 donation. Each one gets you different things a month, but regardless, you get some free stuff. Just check out the bonuses under each tier, and you'll see what you get for free for that month, but you'll get something free regardless. Also, if you'd like to buy any Hillbilly Horror Story merch, you're also in the right place on the website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Just click on the store page and see whatever it is that you like. Click on a few links, send a little bit of money, and your item will be on its way. Thank you guys so much for all of your support. We love you, we thank you, and we appreciate you.